If you're joining a Bible study tonight, please open up your Bibles to the book of Romans to chapter 6. As we have said the last few weeks, chapters 1 through 5 are about justification. How do we get saved? We're saved by faith, not by works. And then starting in chapter 6, there's a transition to, okay, now what? Now that you're saved. This is the part where growing up, the churches just never went there. They were all focused on getting you to walk down the aisle so they could put you on the rolls and put your offerings in the money plate, but there was really no instruction about now what. So in Romans chapter 6, it began, we did the first six verses of it last week. It begins, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And the response, you memorized it in Greek last week, it was what? May jonito. Remember that because you're going to see it over and over and over again in Paul's writing. Mejonito means no way, certainly not, God forbid, all those kind of things. So as we pick up in verse 7 today, it says, For he who has died has been freed from sin. What Paul means by this is if you were baptized into Messiah... When you went under the water, underwater you cannot breathe. So it's a picture of your going down to the grave with Messiah as he was crucified and buried. Dead to sin, that is to the power of sin. That before you got saved, you were a slave to sin. It had power over you. You couldn't break its grasp. But once you died to sin, it doesn't have power over you anymore. That was verse 2. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? He's still on that topic. If you have died in Messiah, then you have been freed from the power of sin. That is, we should be able now to say, no, Satan, I'm not going to do that. What does the scripture say? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But what if you give in to him all the time? then he won't flee. So verse 7, he who has died has been freed from sin. What he means is has already been justified or set free from the power of sin. Let's go to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Verse 39. And for context, we'll include verse 38 so we don't start in the middle of a sentence. Therefore, let it be known to you that, brethren, that through this man, which man? Through Yeshua our Messiah, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. That was chapters 1 through 5. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. What sacrifice was there for an intentional sin? There was none. But through Messiah, we can even be forgiven for an intentional sin. You can be forgiven of any sin except which one? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's the exception. So don't do that one. Romans 2.3. 
Romans 2.3. Romans 2.3, remember, was written by Paul to those who claim to be saved by faith. And he says, And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Paul says, Do you think that because you have been saved by faith, that gives you a license, an excuse to do these sins that you're telling other people will send them to the lake of fire? Did you get a free pass? Answers no. So what do we do as part of salvation? We repent. Repent means turning away from the sin. I don't want to do that anymore. What if we continue to walk in the sin? What does the scripture say? Then we weren't really saved at all. It's not a question of how are we saved. We're saved by faith. The question is how do we know if we've been saved by faith or not? And in these last days, this should be a question that every one of us ask ourselves when we go to bed at night. If I have to stand before the Lord tomorrow, and he asks, what evidence do you have of your salvation? What will you tell him? Does the scripture tell us how we will be judged? will be judged by our works. Did we keep the commandments of God or didn't we? And if we remember that each day, will that help us to walk in a way that's more upright before the Lord? I would hope so. Go to Romans 3.20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. I agree with that. You cannot be saved by works. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. How do I know I'm a sinner? The commandments say I should not have done X and I did X. That I'm a sinner. What's the wages of sin? Death. What's the only way out? Salvation by faith. Let's Messiah take the penalty for that sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter six. In First Corinthians chapter six, Paul gives a whole list of sins that indicate somebody is not saved. It's not an exhaustive list, but let's just look at it. Verse nine. Do you not know that the unrighteous what's another word for unrighteous? Lawless will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the same thing as Matthew 7, 23. That's the same as 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. We could go to many scriptures. This is exactly what the Bible says. Do not be deceived. What does that mean? People will try and deceive us. People will try and tell us that it's okay to sin. And we might believe them. You know, unfortunately, we might. But we shouldn't. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But that's not why we came. We came for verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed. Washed in what? The blood of Messiah. But you were sanctified. 
but you were justified the name of our Lord Yeshua and by the Spirit of our God. And why does it say such were some of you instead of such are some of you? Because those who have been saved have turned away from the sins. They've repented of them. They will not walk in them anymore. So as we approach the time that the trumpet may well blow and call us home, if you have hidden sin in your life, undisclosed, thinking that God doesn't know it, he does. Time to repent of it. Go to Galatians 2. Galatians 2. You can be forgiven of anything other than blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 2, verses 16 and 17. I guess we should start in 15 so we don't start in the middle of a sentence. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Yeshua and the Messiah, even we have believed in Messiah Yeshua, that we might be justified by faith in Messiah and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Messiah, listen to this, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is Messiah therefore a minister of sin? Here's this major anointo again. What's he saying? If we have been saved by Messiah, or say we have, and yet we're still just walking in our sins. Paul says you weren't saved in the first place. Oh my. Continue on to Galatians 3 verses 8 and 11. Galatians chapter 3 verses 8 and 11. And the scripture. What scripture? Talking about what we call the Tanakh or the Old Testament. For seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. Does the Old Testament foresee that God will save many of the Gentiles? Yes. How is this the gospel? In you all the nations shall be blessed. What does that mean? means that through Abraham will come the Messiah, who will be the Savior, the Redeemer, the Goel, the kinsman Redeemer. Verse 11 says, But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for, quote, the just shall live by faith, unquote. Paul says that's in the Old Testament. That's in Habakkuk chapter 2. It's not a New Testament concept. It's Habakkuk 2.4. The just shall live by faith. Galatians 5.4 You have become estranged from Messiah. Who? You attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen by grace. You cannot be justified by the works of the law. Only by faith. That's what... Romans chapter 6 is all about. Okay, if we're not saved by keeping commandments, then why should we keep them? Paul says, should we continue in sin? What is sin? 
lawlessness, breaking the commandments? Should we continue to live a life of breaking the commandments? And he says what? Mejinoito. Ain't no way. Go to Revelation 22.11. Revelation 22.11. Is this the last chapter of the last book of the Bible? It's kind of God's final word. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. That is, he who is unsaved, let him be unsaved. He was filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. If you are saved by faith and righteous before God, how should you live? In righteousness. We read the scriptures last week about what happens if a righteous man turns away and turns into lawlessness. God forgets then the righteousness and vice versa. Just words for self-examination. Back to Romans 6 verse 8. Now if we died with Messiah. He's talking to the people through a letter. He's not there. He's never met them. They have to do some thinking. He's saying, if you truly were saved by faith, if you truly were buried with Messiah, says, we believe that we shall also live with him. What does that mean? Messiah was raised how? Incorruptible. Sinless, righteous. To remain righteous and holy. From that time forward, even forever. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want to get through chapter 7 tonight. Because chapter 7 is the chapter where people go, Well, Paul says we should all just live in sin. That's what he does. I want you to see that's not at all what chapter 7 is saying. But 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. 8 through 13. Remember that Yeshua the Messiah of the seed of David. Why is that important? Did God promise Messiah to come through the seed of David in 2 Samuel chapter 7? Was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Were there any prophecies that Messiah would die? Isaiah 53, Psalm 16, Psalm 22, Daniel chapter 7. But that he would be raised again? Yes, that's in Isaiah 53. Which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. He says, I get thrown in prison for preaching what we all know to be true. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Messiah Yeshua with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, 
we shall also reign with him. What's it mean if we endure? If we don't give up, if we persevere, if we hang on to our faith, if we never get turned away, we shall also reign with him. That's Revelation chapter 1 verse 6. If we deny him, he also will deny us. How many of you have seen pictures in the last couple of years of people lined up in a row on their knees with swords to their throat saying, renounce Messiah or die? Unfortunately, that's the way it is in some parts of the world. Not here yet, thank the Lord. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. If we are faithless, if we turn away, if we fail to persevere, if we give up our faith, we have fallen short. If we deny him, it says he will deny us before his Father in heaven. May it never be. Or in Greek, let's all go, may genoito. Okay. Back to Romans 6, we're up to verse 9. Knowing that Messiah, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. I'll put that in better Englishy concepts. He has eternal life. Do you want eternal life? He dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Let's go to the book of John to chapter 17. What is eternal life? John 17, 3, eternal life, that we know him. Verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Yeshua the Messiah whom you have sent. In John chapter 10, John recounts how Messiah said, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. When the sheep know the shepherd, what do they do when the shepherd walks a path? They follow. What if they don't know the shepherd? Then they go their own way. How do we demonstrate whether we do or do not know the shepherd who is Messiah? Do we follow him on his path? Of course, that's 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. You can put that in your notes, but you can all quote it to me by this point. So we'll go instead to Romans 5.21, which we studied just a couple weeks ago, but I don't want us to forget this verse. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through what? Righteousness to eternal life through Yeshua the Messiah our Lord look how full of meaning that verse is we're saved by the grace of God by our faith but that grace must reign through what? through righteousness not lawlessness righteousness and what's the fruit of righteousness it says here eternal life through Yeshua the Messiah why do they throw in those last two words, our Lord? What does the word Lord mean? Master. The master, the one we serve. 
So what if we choose not to serve the Lord? We choose to break God's commandments. We don't want to follow him on his path. He'll just have to save us anyway. Which verse is that? Haven't found it yet. Romans 6.23. Oh, there's a very famous one. And I know we're going to get to it tonight. But this is just a foreshadowing. For the wages of sin is death. The wages are what we earn, what we deserve. Have you ever sinned? If so, you deserve to die, as do I. It says, but the gift of, of God is eternal life in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. Again, they add the our Lord. If you are saved by faith, he is your Lord. He is your master. He is the one that you serve. 1 John 5. Not the verses we normally turn to when we go to 1 John 5. Just another verse that tells us a little bit about eternal life and what it means. And how we get there. And we know that the Son of God has come. Verse 20. 1 John 5.20 And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. What does it mean to be in him? It means we do what he does, right? Like one person, like one action. In his son, Yeshua the Messiah, this is the true God and eternal life. Boy, John harps on that a lot. Do you want eternal life? Then you must know Yeshua the Messiah. You must know God the Father. You must know how to walk the path that they have set for us to walk. Romans chapter 6, verse 10. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. What was his own testimony in John chapter 15? Did he obey or disobey the commandments of God? He obeyed them. That's John 15, verses 9 and 10, isn't it? Let's go look. John 15, verses 9 and 10. John 15, verses 9 and 10. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. What's it mean, abide? To stay. If we cannot depart then there's no sense telling us to abide, is there? For saying, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Anybody who thinks that Yeshua's commandments are different from God's needs to go back to Daniel's teaching on that topic. Are they different? They are not. Let's go to Hebrews 9. 
Hebrews 9, verses 24 to 28. How many times was Messiah to die? Once. Hebrews 9, 24 to 28. Let me give you a chance to get there. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24 reads, For Messiah has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true. That is, when he was resurrected, did he go into the earthly temple and put his blood in the altar? No. But into heaven itself. Why would he take his blood up to heaven? That's where the originals are. The things on earth are just copies. He put his blood in the mercy seat in the temple in heaven. Now to appear in the presence of God for us, and not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another, that's on Yom Kippur, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now, once, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, and it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Messiah was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. That is to take us out of here, to take us home. If we have not been appointed to wrath, but to eternal life in our Messiah Yeshua. Back to Romans chapter 6, we're up to verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin. That is, if you are dead to sin, then you are no longer a slave to sin and no longer has any power over you. You're free to walk in righteousness, as Paul is going to tell us here in just a few verses. But alive to God in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. How many times is he going to throw in that our Lord? Do you think he's trying to tell us something? I think he is. Verse 11. Let me read you the last sentence of the Liberty Baptist, or sorry, the Liberty Bible Commentary, volume 2, page 367, on these verses. It says, when we daily count ourselves to be dead to the penalty of sin and alive unto God, there will be no temptation to continue in sin. For we will refuse that temptation out of thankfulness to God for counting us and treating us as if we were righteous. I think they did a good job of capturing what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us in that verse. So let's go on to Romans 6, verse 12. Therefore, oh, we know what therefore means, right? Time to draw an application. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. How can people read this and say, the Apostle Paul told us the commandments are done away with, so go ahead and walk in sin. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, 
that you should obey it in its lusts. That word reign is an interesting word. It means literally to be king over you. Because back in the days of kings on the earth, in Bible times, if the king gave you a commandment, you didn't have a choice. What Paul's saying is now you have a choice. Don't let sin dictate your actions. Say no. The word reign here is the Greek word 936. Let's see if I can read what I wrote here in Greek. Basiliuto. Basiliuto. But let me show you some places where that word is used. Matthew 2.22. Matthew 2.22. I have a hard enough time trying to spell words in English. Matthew 2.22. When he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod. There's that same word. Just like Archelaus was king over Judea. That's what Paul tells us not to let sin be to our bodies. Don't let it be king in our lives. Go to Luke 1.33. Luke 1.33. This is referring to our Messiah, Yeshua. And he, Messiah, Yeshua, will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. That word reign is the same word that Paul used to talk about don't let sin reign in your mortal body. And look at Revelation 6.10. Revelation chapter 6. That's a 5. Revelation 5.10. Revelation 5.10 is about what we get to do in the kingdom, you and I. And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. That's the same word. When we become kings in the messianic kingdom, our word will be law. But whose words will we speak? Yeshua's. The Lord our God. Go back to Romans 6. Verse 12 was very clear. Do not let sin tell you what to do. Instead, what do you do when sin says, go take that cookie? Just say no. Don't take the cookie. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Give in to the devil and he will be your friend. And he's not a good friend. Romans chapter 6, verse 13. And do not, listen to Paul, do not present your members, that is the parts of your body, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Again, what's another word for unrighteousness? Lawlessness. Do not let your body break the commandments of God. 
but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, that is freed from the power of sin, free to walk in righteousness, to serve God in right ways, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. There's something interesting in that verse that doesn't really come through in the English. See that word instruments? The word means weapons. Literally means weapons. Let's go to John 18, 3. Paul's writing as if we are in a war with sin. I wonder why he's doing that. Because we're at war with sin. John 18, 3. Then Judas, who betrayed him, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. This is the same Greek word. This translated instruments over there in Romans. In Romans 13, verse 12, it's translated differently yet. Romans 13, verse 12. Romans 13, 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. That word armor is the same word. That was instruments in Romans 6. And that was weapons in John 18.3. One last other example, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 7. By the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of of righteousness. That word armor is the same word. The armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. And that's what Paul is trying to convey across here is let yourself be armor against the wiles of the devil, against the arrows, against the darts, against his attacks. Let them be weapons to repel Satan. How did Messiah repel Satan when he was tempted in Matthew chapter 3? He would rebuke him with scripture. This is what the scripture says. This is what I'm going to do. Those are our weapons. Those are our armors. Against the ways of Satan. Now verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. What does that word dominion mean? Power to what? Authority. That's exactly right. Don't let sin have authority over you to tell you what to do. For you are not under law, but under grace. And this, we've had many discussions about that Greek word hupo, right? H-Y-P-O, hupo. But because we're a small group on Friday night and you guys really study deeply, we're going to go deeper than we've ever gone on this word hupo. So hang on to your pencils. 
we're going to look just at the book of Matthew at every place the word hupo is used to see if we can get an idea and understanding of what this little word means. The word hupo, which is a Greek word 5259, occurs 230 times in the Textus Receptus Greek text, not just in the book of Matthew. But here we go. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, you don't have to turn, I'll just read it so we can discuss it. Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying. That word of is hupo, which was spoken of the Lord. What's it mean was spoken of the Lord? Was spoken by the Lord. Yeah. Or about the Lord. In this case, is actually by the prophet about the Lord. <coughs> Matthew 2.15 And there was until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled was spoken of the Lord, that is about the Lord, by the prophet saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. The reason I picked Matthew is it's going to use every type of way that Hupo gets translated that I could think of. Matthew 2.16, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, there's Hupo, that of is by. It's the wise men who were mocking Herod. So in Matthew 1.22, it was about the Lord. In Matthew 2.15, about the Lord. In Matthew 2.16, it was by the wise men. Matthew 2.17, then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, by there is hupo. And that's a proper use of hupo. Matthew 3.3, for this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. That word by is hupo. Matthew 3.6, and they were baptized of him in Jordan. That of is hupo. So they were baptized in him. Right? Wayne? Yes? I haven't seen an of yet. It's always been by. In 122, it was of. In 215, it was of. In 216, it was of. Okay, so you're looking at a different translation than what I'm reading from here. Okay. Yeah, and this here is the King James. Okay. Like I said, don't turn to it. Just make it up. 3 6. If they were baptized of him, that would mean about him more. This version says by him. That means that man's the one who did it. Okay. okay. Of, by, and through are the general ways that this word is translated. Okay. So what's the correct meaning of, of that, that particular verse? Was he baptized 
He was baptized by John. By John, not of John, like about John. No, not of John or about John. It was by John. Thank you. Yep. Same with Matthew 3.13. Then cometh Yeshua from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him, that is, by John. Matthew 3.14. But John forbade him, saying, I need to be baptized of thee, meaning by you, and comest thou to me. We haven't come to an under yet, have we? It's rarely translated under, but it is in Matthew. And I want you to see where. Matthew 4.1. Then Yeshua was led up of the Spirit. That of is hupo. It was by the Spirit. Into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. That of is also hupo. So to be tempted by the devil. Matthew 5.13 You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. That of is hupo. How would you translate that properly? By. So the, if you're the salt of the earth, that of is not hupo. Was not hupo. The hoopo here is underfoot of men. Mm -hmm. And it's not the under, it's the of. Matthew 5.15 Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. There, hoopo is translated as under. But it's a physical under. Right? A physical basket put over it. Matthew 6.2 Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do with the synagogues and the streets, that they may have glory of men. That of is what? Glory by or from. Yeah. Really, I say unto you, they have their reward. Matthew 8.8. 8. Here's another place where it's under. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. Like the basket, this is a literal physical under the roof of the house. So did you find most of the unders were physical? Yeah. Unless it refers to under the law. Mm. That. <laughs> and that's where I'm going. Hmm. Verse Matthew 8 9, for I am a man under authority. That under is hupo. Having soldiers under me, that under is hupo. So in a chain of command, the centurion is under authority of the commander, and his soldiers are under his authority. But that's a physical line of authority. That's not what they mean it to mean. Yeah. Matthew 8, 24. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, and so much that the ship was covered with the waves. That with is hupo. How would you say it? The ship is covered by the waves. Matthew 10, 22. And you shall be hated of all men. The word of there is hupo. 
How would you put it? You shall be hated by all men. Doesn't mean all men are standing on you, does it? No. Matthew eleven seven. And as they departed, Yeshua began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? That with is hoopo. How would you phrase it better? Reed shaken by the wind. All things are delivered unto me of my Father. Matthew eleven twenty seven. That of is hoopo. How would you put that better? All things are delivered unto me by my Father. Matthew 14, 8. I better slow down or somebody will post a note in a minute and say, what were all those again? Matthew 14, 8. And she being before instructed of her mother, of his hoopo. How would you put it in better English? By her mother. Say, give me here John the Baptist's head in a charger. We know who that's talking about. Her name was Salome. Matthew 14, 24. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves. With is hoopo. How would you say? Was tossed by waves. Matthew 17, 12. But I say unto you that Elias, that's Elijah, is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. I'm not a King James guy, you might notice. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them, of his hoopo. How would you say that if it were you? This says at their hands. That's what my new King James says. Yeah. Is that wrong? No, no. That's a better translation. Men. Also, the Son of Man shall suffer of them, is by them or at their hand. By them and at their hand means the same thing. Matthew nineteen twelve. For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb. There are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. Of there is hoopo. You would say by men, wouldn't you? Matthew twenty twenty three. He saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptized that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them from whom it is prepared of Hupo, my father. You would say bye. You're gonna like Matthew twenty two thirty one. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, the word by there is hoopo. I wouldn't change that one. And greetings, Matthew 23, 7. Sorry, Matthew 23, 7. And greetings in the markets and to be called of men, rabbi, rabbi, of is hoopo. What would you say? By. Matthew 23, 37. Here's another under. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. That word under is hoopo. That was 327? 
Matthew 23, 37. What does it mean as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings? That's a physical, literal covering, isn't it? Just like the roof and just like the authority. Only three more. Matthew 24, 9. Then they shall be delivered you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of, hupo, all nations for my name's sake. Bye. Matthew 27, 12. And when he was accused of Hupo, the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. What would you say? He was accused by the chief priests and elders. Last one, Matthew 27, 35. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. I wouldn't change that one at all. That by is Hupo. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. Now, let's look back at Romans 6, verse 14, at the way it's traditionally interpreted and understood. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. The traditional commentary and understanding is this means the law does not apply. In which of those, from all of the book of Matthew, would you give it anywhere close to that meaning? The answer is none. So it is better understood, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not of or by law, but of or by grace. Or through is another way to say it. So it's trying to say we've been saved by grace, not by the law. But it does not mean that the law does not apply. If that guy was under the authority of somebody, to me it seems like this is the same thing. Under the law, I, I don't know how you get the difference, how you get to that place. I understand what you're saying and I realize it's a wrong translation. Mm -hmm. In the military where you have set ranks like a sergeant is under a lieutenant and lieutenant's under a captain that's un under their authority. It's a lower position in their ranks. The line of authority flows from the president through the secretaries okay. down through the chiefs and it's a flow of authority. So one is physically under another. Let's see if this helps. I just was looking at all kinds of commentaries and found one by a pastor, Tom Hicks, in a category of theology questions. He's not Messianic. He's not Jewish. He is just coming from a theologian's perspective. And it was written March 10, 2020. It's titled, What Does It Mean to Be Under the Law? And if you don't mind, it's a few pages. Let me just read it. There seems to be a fair amount of confusion today about what it means to be, quote, under the law, end quote. And there's confusion about what it doesn't mean. Some suggest that all of the members of the Old Covenant were, quote, under the law, unquote. 
Others say that for a believer to accept any commands or directives from God is to be, quote, under the law, end quote. Some believe that to accept the moral law revealed in the Old Testament as normative for the believer is to be under the law. But the phrase, quote, under the law, end quote, is technical terminology in the Pauline epistles for something very specific. Number one, consider the meaning of the phrase, quote, under the law, quote, in Pauline literature. It says perhaps the best way to understand the phrase is to study the Galatian heresy. Paul used the phrase, quote, under the law, end quote, five times in his letter to the Galatians. Don't write these down, but it's chapter 3, verse 23, chapter 4, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 5, chapter 4, verse 21, and chapter 5, verse 18. It says more than any of his other letters. But how were the false teachers in Galatia attempting to bring God's people back, quote, under the law, end quote? First to be, quote, under the law, end quote, is to attempt to secure God's verdict of justification by the law. Paul says in Galatians 2.21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. End quote. The false teachers were teaching Christians that they had to keep the whole law of God for their justification, meaning to be saved. Not only the Ten Commandments, but circumcision and the Jewish food laws and festivals. This was a false gospel, citing Galatians 1, 6-7. Second to be, quote, under the law, end quote, is to attempt to obtain the Spirit, referring to the Holy Spirit, through obedience to the law. Paul says in Galatians 3, 2, quote, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? End quote. Thus to seek not only the objective blessing of justification by the law, but also the subjective blessing of the spirit by the law is to be, quote, under the law, end quote. The Judaizers were teaching that to obtain the spirit of Christ, one must obey the law of God. That is a, quote, bewitching, end quote, heresy. Third, to be, quote, under the law, end quote, is to, quote, rely on the works of the law, end quote. Paul says in Galatians 3.10, quote, I'm going to stop saying quote. It's getting irritating even to me. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Thus all who rely on the law, meaning those who trust their own works of obedience to avoid God's curse, are under actually under the curse of the law. That's because the only way to be free from the curse of the law is to obey the whole law of God perfectly. No one can do that. Therefore, no one should try to obey God's law to free himself from the curse. Fourth, to be under the law is to seek eternal life by obedience to the law. Paul says in Galatians 3.21, If a law had been given that could, say, that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. 
Anyone who relies on his own obedience to the law in order to obtain eternal life is, quote, under the law, end quote. Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone who trusts his own good works as his righteousness for eternal life has rejected Christ and is under the law. Now it is important to note that in Galatians, Paul does not teach that faithful Christian obedience to God's law is the equivalent of being under the law. In fact, in a number of places, Paul teaches the necessity of obedience to the law of God. In Galatians 6, 2, Paul says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he gives us an idea of what he means by the law of Christ. He teaches that those in Christ under grace are to keep the Ten Commandments as an expression of their faith. True believers are to put away falsehood, the Ninth Commandment, Ephesians 4.25. Be angry and do not sin, the Sixth Commandment, Ephesians 4.26. No longer steal, the Eighth Commandment, Ephesians 4.28. Abstain from sexual immorality, the Seventh Commandment, Ephesians 5.3. Refrain from covetousness, the 10th commandment, Ephesians 5.3. A true believer is not to be an idolater, which refers to the first through third commandments, Ephesians 5.5. A believer is to honor your father and mother, the fifth commandment, Ephesians 6.2. Paul may even reference the Lord's Day <coughs> or Christian Sabbath. <laughs> Here's where he goes astray, just this one place. In Ephesians 5, 16 and 19, when he says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, he speaks of days in a section of his letter where he's already expounding the Ten Commandments for the believer. Apparently, there's a day in which Christians are to gather to sing and worship the Lord together. Some say that the New Testament repeats nine of the Ten Commandments but that it is silent on the Sabbath commandment, of course, this is false. The New Testament does repeat the Sabbath commandment. Jesus positively declares the Sabbath was made for man, Mark 2.27. And Hebrews says there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, Hebrews 4.9. Many times in the New Testament, the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments, are viewed as normative for the believer. And he cites Romans 2, 21 to 22 and verse 26 and 29. Romans 13, 9. Romans 7, 25. Romans 8, 4. James 1, 25. And James 2, 8 to 13. This clearly shows that to be under the law is not equivalent to keeping the Ten Commandments under grace and faith, which is the law of Christ. Number two. Both unbelieving Jews and unbelieving Gentiles were, quote, under the law, unquote. This is an important point to grasp because some think that only Jews were under the law. That is, they think that being under the old covenant is the same as being under the law. But Paul explains that even the pagan unbelieving Gentiles who are not under the old covenant are, in fact, under the law. Galatians 4, 3 to 5 says, In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, 
to redeem those who were under the law so they might receive adoption as sons. A key phrase here is elementary principles of the world, Galatians 4.3. Those words could also be translated elemental spirits of the world. It's a reference to pagan worship. Pagans believed in salvation, justification, and this worldly blessing through works of obedience to their false gods. It makes sense Paul would speak this way to the Galatians since they were formerly Gentile pagans. They worshiped the elemental spirits, false gods of earth, air, fire, and water, trying to avoid disasters from these elements and trying to gain blessings. They believed that if they offered sacrifices and obeyed their gods, they could obtain salvation from the wrath of their gods, and they could obtain blessing in this world on the basis of their works. Paganism is a work for salvation religion. Galatians 4.9 elaborates on pagan slavery to work salvation and how God mercifully rescued the Galatians from it. It says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles or elemental spirits of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Paul is speaking ironically. To put yourself under the law with the Galatian Judaizers trying to earn salvation through the Old Covenant is no different from your former pagan religion. Now it's significant that the words of Galatians 4.3 and 4.4-5 occur together. Galatians 4.3 says, In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And Galatians 4.4-5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Who did Jesus come to redeem from under the law? He came to redeem not just Jewish members of the Old Covenant, but pagans who were enslaved under the law to the elemental spirits of the world. To be under paganism is to be under the law. Under condemnation in Adam, quoting Romans 3, 19 to 20 and 5, 19. The unbelieving Judaizers who seek salvation through the Old Covenant are indeed under the law. But unbelieving pagan Gentiles are also under the law. That is why Paul says that Christ came to redeem those who were under the law, not just Jews, but also Gentiles. Point three, believers under the Old Covenant were not under the law. This final point is also very important to grasp. Not all those who were in the Old Covenant were under the law. Remember that to be under the law is to rely on your good works for salvation, justification, the Holy Spirit, and eternal life. Did believers in the Old Testament rely on their good works for salvation? Did David do that? Did Abraham rely on his good works for salvation? Many uses certainly not. So throw in a major In fact, Galatians 3 6 says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And yet, Abraham was in the Old Covenant, the covenant of circumcision. No Old Testament saints who were members of the Old Covenant were under the law. For example, Hebrews 11:7 7 says, By faith, Noah became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. 
And Hebrews 11, 24 to 26 says, By faith Moses, consider the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Thus we must conclude that no one could be under the old covenant, and yet, I'm sorry, thus we must conclude that one could be under the old covenant, and yet not under the law. Old Testament saints were indeed members of the old covenant, and yet they certainly were not under the law because they were not trying to obey the old covenant for their salvation. The Bible teaches that David, a member of the old covenant, was a believer, a man after God's own heart. David trusted in God for the forgiveness of his sins. He wrote, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, citing Psalm 51, 1-2. Clearly, David was not relying on his good works for salvation. Rather, he was trusting God for grace, forgiveness, and salvation. He understood that his sacrifices of obedience under the old covenant could not save him. Quote, for you will not delight in sacrifice where I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. Quote, that's Psalm 51.16. Romans 4.6-8 shows us that David was trusting in the gospel for his salvation. Quote, David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So David was not under the law, since to be under the law is to be condemned and under God's wrath. The Bible teaches us that David was under grace by faith because he trusted God to save him from his sins. And yet, traditionally, David is understood to have written Psalm 119, which is about the goodness of the law of God. Spurgeon said, Psalm 119 is Davidic in tone and expression, and it tallies with David's experience in many interesting points. In our youth, our teacher called it David's pocketbook. David sings, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, Psalm 119.1. Oh, how I love your law, it's my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. Psalm 119, verses 97 and 98. I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Psalm 119, verse 127. Hebrew term, the law in Psalm 119 is Torah, which includes the sweet promises of the gospel, the positive laws of the old covenant, as well as the moral law of the Ten Commandments. David delighted in the law of God and sought to obey it from faithful love to God and joy in him. But in no way did David rely on his obedience to the law for his salvation. He did not seek justification before God through the law. He did not rely on the law for his sanctification either. Rather, he obeyed the law as a believer from a heart of love, joy, and gratitude to God because of so great a salvation. We're coming to the end. David's attitude toward the law is no different at all from that of the Apostle Paul's in the New Covenant. Paul said, so the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous and good, Romans 7.12. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, Romans 7.22. I serve the law of God with my mind, Romans 7.25. 
Paul teaches that Christ died for our sins in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Romans 8, 4. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Titus 2.14 Conclusion To be under the law is to rely on the law for justification, life, and salvation. To be under the law is to be condemned in Adam rather than justified in Christ. All believers, both Jews and Gentiles, are under the law, but all believers in both Testaments are under grace, Romans 6.14 in Christ, who came to redeem those who are under the law, Galatians 4.5. True believers keep the good law of God in faith, under grace, as an expression of love to God and others because of so great a salvation. They don't rely on the law to save them, but neither do they reject its authority or goodness. Though they can never keep the law perfectly, they try to follow the law as an expression of faith in God and love to him. I think it's right on point. Brother Wayne? Yes, ma'am. Can I have a copy of that? Yep. Thank you. And Peggy Warren said, can you please share to notes? read tonight. I think that means, well, I post that and the answer is yes, I intended to. That's why I told you not to take copious notes because I'll post a copy. But is that not what I keep trying to get across? Maybe not as well as he did, but that's the way verse 14 is to be interpreted, I believe. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not saved by law, but saved by grace. When you've been saved by grace, you've been buried with Messiah, and the power of sin to reign in your life has been broken. Now you're not a slave to law, but you have a choice. Will I live in sin, or will I live in righteousness? And what did Messiah say in John 14, 15? If you love me, comma, keep my commandments. So that's it. Do we keep God's commandments to be saved? No. Do we keep God's commandments because we're saved? The answer is yes. Well, if you love someone, you try to make them happy and you try not to do the things that yeah. they don't like. So if you love the Lord, it doesn't make sense. If you were married 30 or 40 years ago, you probably had included in the marriage vows and obey. Mm -hmm. That's been stricken for most marriage vows today. But for 6,000 years almost, that was the marriage vow, to love, honor, and obey. That's exactly what the Lord is asking of us, to love, honor, and obey. I had an attorney friend that wouldn't go to another friend's wedding because that was in the vows. And they wouldn't go for that reason. They wouldn't go for that reason. Okay. Back to Romans 6. I apologize if that took a while, but I thought it was important because, boy, he made a lot of really good points. Verse 15, what then? Notice this is a letter. Paul anticipates the audience having read this and going, what then? Shall we sin? And what is sin? Transgression of the law. That's 1 John 3, 4. Shall we sin because we're not saved by the law, but saved by grace? 
What is that Greek there? Everybody say, Mejanoito. Certainly not. Let's go to 1 John 3. And not just read verse 4. But let's read the context in which it comes. 1 John 3, verses 4 through 10. We could start at 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, but boy, there's just not that much time left tonight. So 1 John 3.3 3 says, And everyone who has this hope and impurifies himself, just as he, Messiah, is pure. And then verse 4 comes in. Whoever. How broad a term is whoever? As broad as you can get. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Remember we just read we're supposed to be in him? In him is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Is this telling us we're saved by works? No. When it says in verse 11, in this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest, it means how you can tell whether somebody is the child of God or the child of the devil. It goes all the way back to Matthew 7. The broad road, the narrow road, the false teachers. How do you know which teacher is true and which one is false? Are they teaching righteousness or are they teaching lawlessness? If they're teaching righteousness, they're teaching you to follow God. If they're teaching lawlessness, they're teaching you to follow whom? According to 1 John 3, the devil. Just stop to think about that for a moment. It's not that we're saved by works. We're not. You can't be. It's how can you tell one who's a child of God from the child of the devil? Now, everyone may slip up and screw up a little sometime now and then. But can you honestly live a life of sin if you're saved by faith and the Holy Spirit dwells in you? The Bible says no. Okay, back to Romans 6. I don't want to get too preachy. Verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Certainly not. If the traditional understanding of under law was correct, that under the law means the law applies, and under grace means it does not, 
then what sense would the question make? Shall we break the commandments of God because they don't apply? You can't break a commandment that doesn't apply. The sentence would be nonsensical. Verse 16. One. Yes, ma'am. So that under is under? That under is hupa. It's saved by or through. Saved by or through. That's what Paul's trying to get across. How are you saved? You're saved by faith, not by works. He says, does that mean we should continue in sin? How many times has he asked that so far in chapter 6? It's not of. You can put of if you want. Just what does that mean if you put of? We are of grace, not of law. What does of mean there? Saved by. So verse 16. Do you not know? What's Paul calling them? Stupid, dummies, ignorant. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one slaves whom you obey. Think back to the Garden of Eden. God said, do not eat from that tree. And Satan said, eat from that tree. And who did they obey? They obeyed Satan. And after that, what's called Satan called, what's Satan called the God of this world? How did he get to be the God of this world? The one you obey is the one whose slave you are. So they rejected God as God and made Satan God. They didn't mean to do that, but that's what they did. You never thought of it that way? Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? He's talking to people who are saved by faith. He says if you make yourself a slave to sin, where is that leading you? Death. And if you make yourself a slave to obedience, that is obedience to God's commandments, where's that leading you? To righteousness. Let's start in Matthew 3.15. Is that a 15? I think so. That word righteousness, I want to look at it for a minute. Matthew 3.15, But Yeshua answered and said to him, that is to John, John saying, what do you mean you're coming to me to be baptized by me? Yeshua said, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. What's he mean it's fitting? It's appropriate. It's appropriate for us to fulfill, that word is plurao. The word that the Christian church wants to say means to abolish. Did, was Messiah uh, baptized to abolish all righteousness? 
Everybody say what? Major noito. <laughs> Ain't no way. So what does it mean here? To fulfill all righteousness. To bring it into fruition. To fill it up. To make it full. Go to Matthew 5, 6. In the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be filled. Where's the blessing for those who hunger and thirst for lawlessness? I don't see one. Do you? No. What's it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? It's what you desire. It means to really want it, to really desire it. It's what you want. Matthew 5.20 For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. What was their righteousness based upon? Their man-made rules and regulations. What was that worth to them, did the Lord say? Nothing. It was empty. It was useless, worthless, vain. I, mean, I can't help but think back. God said, remember the Sabbath day. And the Pope said, don't you dare do that. Do Sunday instead. Eat piggies, where God said, don't. Don't do Passover. God said to do that. Do the pagan Easter thing instead with the eggs and the bunnies and the chicks. See how fun it is. We are the slave to the one whom we obey. I'm getting preachy. Matthew 6.33 But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. This is Messiah saying, be righteous like God is righteous. And what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Make it the most important, Make it the most important thing. Make it your main goal. Make it your priority. Luke 1, verses 70 to 75. I'm not going to get through chapter 7 today, am I? Oh, well. It's nice to have goals. Luke 1, verses 70 to 75. This is a prophecy given under the Holy Spirit, and it tells us that in verse 67 in no uncertain terms. So let's just start in verse 68. Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him 
all the days of our life. This is a prophecy through the Holy Spirit. How does God want us to serve him in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life? Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verse 35. This is Peter. Three men came from the house of Cornelius and Peter would have turned them away. Except that God gave him a vision. And in verse 35 it says, But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. What about those who don't fear him? Those who work lawlessness because they don't care. Are they accepted by him? It's not what this says, is it? 2 Corinthians 6.14 I know you guys know what that says before we even turn there. Second Corinthians six fourteen. Second sentence For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? You know what? Paul didn't answer the question. What's the answer to the question? None. Let's go right in there. Major Leto. I'm sure Paul was thinking it. Second Corinthians eleven fifteen. Second Corinthians eleven fifteen is about the false teachers. So we'll start in verse fourteen for context. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. They may pretend to be ministers of righteousness, but what do their works give away? Whose children are they? Galatians 3.21. We all need t-shirts that say, yes, I have read Galatians. 3.21. Is the law then, the Torah, against the promises of God? Then what do you say? Mejonoito. Certainly not. For if there had been a law which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. Can we be saved by the law? No. Salvation is by faith. 
chapter 6 is not about salvation. It's about sanctification. What do we do after we get saved? How do we live? Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 24. We may as well add verse 17 because that starts the topic. Verse 24 ends it. Verse 17 says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. So how do we walk? That's verse 24. That you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. How can you read that and say Paul's telling us to stop keeping the commandments of God? Ephesians 6.14 Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. What is the breastplate? That's the big piece of armor that covers the heart and the lungs, the very most sensitive parts of body necessary for life, that and the brain. But again, what do we read about your instruments, also meaning your armor, your weapons? We protect ourselves from Satan with what? Truth and righteousness. What is truth? Psalm 119, verse 142. Torah is truth. The law is truth. 1 Timothy 6.11 1 Timothy 6.11 Who wrote 1 Timothy? Paul did. But you, O man of God, are you a man of God? Are you a person of God? Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. What's the first thing Paul tells us to seek after and pursue? Righteousness. 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. Second Timothy 2, verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Again, pursue what? First, pursue righteousness. Second Timothy 3.16, you guys know this one. All scripture is God-breathed. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in what? Righteousness. Every commandment God gave is good for instruction in righteousness. That's what the Torah is. The word Torah means instruction. Instruction in righteousness. Hebrews 1.9. Hebrews 1.9.
God says to our Messiah Yeshua, first thing he does in verse 8 is call him God. God calls Yeshua God. And he ought to know. Verse 9 says, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Our Messiah Yeshua loves righteousness and hates lawlessness. Do you see that? Hebrews 1.9. That's consistent with what he said in Revelation 2 twice. How does he feel about the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which is antinomianism? He hates it. That's reason enough for me to want to follow God's commandments. Second Peter 2. What did Peter say? A lot, yeah. And with much conviction. First, uh, Second Peter, Second Peter two five. Oh, we may as well start in verse four, because remember, Messiah in Matthew twenty four points us back to both Noah and Lot. Verse 4, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, referring to Genesis chapter 4, but cast them down to hell, it's not hell, it's Tartarus, which is the pit that gets open in Revelation, and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. So the ungodly died in the flood. The righteous were delivered before the floods came. Verse 6, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous lot. What does he think he means in verse 6? Making Sodom and Gomorrah an example to those who afterward would live ungodly? Did he mean it to be a warning? Where is Sodom and Gomorrah today? They still haven't found them. That's the purpose. Yeah. First John two twenty nine. First John two twenty nine. Oh, look at this. If you know that he is righteous, he being Messiah. You know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Again, 1 John 3.10. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. Oh, you know what? I've run out of time. We'll have to pick up next week, Lord willing, in Romans chapter 6, verse 17.